but I am so proud to be a part of a church led by our wonderful Pastor John and his precious wife, Joy. Would you give them a hand today? I, I tell you, it is a, it's a wonderful thing to know that, uh, and, and I knew John when, well, I knew John before he knew the Lord, so it's a miracle that he is my pastor. It truly is, but I am so glad to be a part of this and to be a part of what God is doing in this place. But we also have the privilege to be a part of your church family as far as your missionaries. My wife Shelly and I are uh, missionaries with Man of Worldwide, directors of Africa, and we are part of your family. And that, you love us so much, you take such good care of us, and we just wanna say thank you for that. And uh, it is truly a joy to be a part of your missions family. Now some of you ladies met my wife yesterday, is that true, right? Yeah, I heard she did a great job. Everything I know I learned from her, right? So. We got, we got a lot to look forward to, but I, I, what a privilege to be married to a wonderful woman like that, right? I just thank the Lord every day. I really uh, outpunted my coverage on that one, right, as they would say. So thank you, Lord, for that. But it is also just a joy to be able to open the Word of God with you today, and that's what we're going to do. We are in a series here at Hallmark this month called The Psalms of the Season, annual event that we have. We get to walk through different ones of the Psalms. Well, today... We are going to be walking through specifically, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Psalm 24. I invite you to turn with me there or get your electronic devices as we move forward. We're talking the Psalms of the season. Last week, Pastor Nathan just got us started in a great way, Psalm 63. And I want to just paraphrase the kind of the, the verse or the kind of the phrase that he gave us as we talked about worship. He, he basically said this, God designed you to find your deepest fulfillment in a relationship with him and in worship of him. That's where we find our fulfillment. That's how we are created. We were made to worship. God made us that way. And we talk about worship, he gave us this idea, the idea of worth-ship, the idea of giving something the worth, the, the honor that is deserved. And that's what we do as we worship God. We're giving him the worth. So today in Psalm chapter 24, like, <laughs> Something went wrong. Please try again. I just turned on my computer. So anyway, we'll try that again. Psalm 24, as Psalm 63 tells us, it was written by David. Uh, it was written in, in, during his lifetime. In fact, Psalm 24 follows arguably the most famous psalm of all, correct? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? We, we know, in fact, some of you probably thought I misspoke and I was going to go to Psalm 23. I mean, who would want to preach from Psalm 23? It's a phenomenal passage, one of my favorites, but I want to take us to that chapter immediately following, Psalm 24, and I hope we learn something incredible or reminded about something incredible about worship Today. To do that, let me show you a few pictures. You'll see some on the screen, and I think you'll recognize some of these faces. This would be the Connect team at Hallmark, right? And these are the people that you first see as you come in the doors, right? These are those smiling faces that open the doors for you, that welcome you in. They're beautiful. We give them a hand. We got a great Connect team. That's what you want to see on a Sunday morning. And whether, as Tamara said, you're an old member and you've been around here forever and you're meeting a friend, or maybe this is your first time and you just need to kind of feel like you're, you really are welcome here. That's what these people do. They make their first impression. They say, welcome, we're glad that you're at Hallmark, right? That's what they do and they do a phenomenal job at it. Well, as we read Psalm 24, 
specifically the last few verses of that psalm, I think that's the atmosphere that David is setting for us. Let me read it for you. Starting verse number seven of Psalm 24, David said this, lift up your head, O gates, O lift, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. In essence, David is saying something very powerful here. King, you're welcome here with us. King of glory, come in because you are welcome in this place. You are welcome to be about it. Now, when we talk a lot about worship, often we talk about what we do in worship, our position in worship, and that's important. And we'll actually mention that as we talk today. In fact, in, in the Psalm 95, it actually gives us the posture of worship. It says that we are to, to bow down. We're to kneel before the Lord, our maker. That is to be our, the, the, the condition, the posture of our heart, and, and even the posture of our body that we realize who he is. That's what, what we do in worship. But as we, we look at this particular Psalm, we get another picture of worship. What that is, as we bow down, is we're actually subjecting ourselves to an ultimate authority. We're actually proclaiming someone else as king as we bow down. And so what, what we're learning from this, this idea of Psalm 24 is one of the primary goals of worship. And, and if I can put it very simply, one of the main goals of worship is truly this. It's inviting him, inviting the king of glory to be present in our midst in his glory. We're inviting him to come in. We're saying, king, you're welcome here. That's one of the ultimate goals of worship, is that we open our lives and our, our location to the fact of God, we want you, we welcome you into this place. Think about that. The incredible thought of the king of the universe, the king of glory, being in, in our midst, in our, in our presence, that we're able to worship him at his presence. What an incredible thought. In fact, as we're thinking about that, here's what you gotta understand, our hearts, will ultimately be satisfied with nothing less than that. All the things that we try to do in life, we're always gonna find them empty. Our hearts are never gonna to be totally satisfied with anything less than knowing him in his presence. That's how important this idea of worship is. Now here's what we know, God is omnipresent, right? God is everywhere. It's not like if we don't let him in, he's not here. God is in all places. But what this idea of worship is, it's from our hearts saying, God, I, I, I want to know you and I want, to, I want you to feel that welcome from my life and in my heart. As God's people, that's what we're looking for. That's what worship is all about. There are some examples from scripture. There's a man you might recognize his name, Moses, from the Old Testament, right? Moses, the guy that, that saw a burning bush that wasn't being burned up and he heard the voice of the Lord that called him, but that wasn't enough for Moses. Because in chapter 3 of Exodus, Moses literally says to God, God, show me your glory. I've seen a lot of you, God, but I need to know more. I, need, I want to know more of you, God. I want to truly know your presence. That's what we talk about when we talk about worship. In fact, when they finished the tabernacle, at the end of, uh, of the, 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 their journey, and they finished that tabernacle, and, and they come together, the Bible says that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The king of glory showed up. You see, that's what worship is. It's about understanding that I'm inviting the king to come and be a part of what I'm doing. So when we come to Psalm 24, 
Here's the truth that I want us to remember and just think about throughout this day. According to what David says, when God is welcomed with open gates and open doors, he is pleased to come in. God wants us to be in that position. God wants us to be in his presence. When we open the doors and gates, as David explains to us, God wants us there. So let's try to understand what he's saying in this psalm. Most scholars would tell us that Psalm 24 that David wrote was about a particular event that happened in Israel. If you want to look for a reference, you'll find it in 2 Samuel chapter 6, 1 Chronicles 15. It's when the ark of the Lord, you remember the ark, you know, the one that, that uh, uh, Indiana found, right? The ark of the Lord, okay, that, that lost ark. The ark of God that, that God told him to build had been for years away from the tabernacle, away from the, the, the place of worship. There was war and there was sin involved and it had been out of its place. And David is now going to do what, what I know God wanted him to do. He's going to bring the ark back into its proper place, into the tabernacle. And so in those passages, you find things like this, that when David and the people brought up the house, brought up the ark to the house of God, that there was dancing and there was singing and there was, there was music and there was sacrifice of animals. And, and the whole place, it tells us, they came together in this celebration and the horns were blowing and they were saying, the, the ark has come back in. And, and so if you read that with that context, that celebration, what he's saying is the holy place, that would be the tabernacle. And those gates and doors, that would be the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. And what we see is the king and all the people saying, open the gates, open the doors, the ark is back. God has come back into our city. That's the, that's the, the, the reason, the background of what this passage is, is we're seeing now as God's worship is being reinstated, his glory is being welcomed back into the city of David. God has always been there, but now the people are aware again, and they're saying God is back in our midst, and they're worshiping. The ark is, is back. And here's again what we remember. When God is welcomed with open doors and open gates, he's pleased to come in. And that's what I want you to remember today, that there is a God who wants you to experience his presence, and he's welcome when that happens. Here's what we know in this passage. David's going to ask and answer two very important questions. The first question is, who is this king that we're welcoming? And the second question is, and, and who can come into his presence? Vital questions. Let, let's jump on the first one. We've already read it once, verse number 8 and 10. You heard it twice he asked the question, who is this king of glory? Now, before we can talk about worshiping him or come to his presence, we've got to understand who it is that we're talking about. Who is this king? And that's, that's the idea. We're standing outside the gates, and the gates are closed, and someone says, open the gates, the king is here. And the first obvious question is, well, well who is this king? Who is this one who we're going to open our, the doors of our life and the doors of our, our time with? The simple answer is, if you look at the last phrase of the last verse, the Lord of hosts, the Lord is the king of glory. So let's talk about this Lord a little bit. We, we know it because we've been in church, but let's talk about who David's talking about. The Lord, the Yahweh that we sang about earlier, Jehovah God, he is He's the king of glory. But David gives some descriptive words to him. Did you see some of these words he used? He talks about he is the, 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 the king that is strong, mighty in battle. Well, think about who this Lord is. That's obviously a military term. We, we get that. So what we're talking about here is a king who is undefeated. <laughs> 
Here is a king who is undefeatable. I don't know if that's a real word, but it works, right? He cannot be defeated. Here is the one who is mighty in battle, who will always win. This is the king of glory that is always the victor. That is the king of glory. He's always mighty in battle. And then he also calls him, verse 10, the Lord of of hosts. Now that's an interesting biblical phrase. It literally could mean anything that, got, that, is, that we see in creation or the universe that has this organization of hosts, whether it be the hosts of the stars or the hosts of the planets or the hosts of created beings or the hosts of an army. What he's saying is God is over it all. He is the Lord of everything. He is the Yahweh. He is the commander-in-chief of all things. All things are under his command. He is the sovereign ruler of all things. As this ark is entering Jerusalem with David and the people, and they're celebrating. What an appropriate time to proclaim once again that God is over all things. But here's what I find interesting. David ends this psalm the same way he begins it. Go back with me to verse number one. How does David start Psalm 24? He says this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. We're talking about the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, but understand this is the Lord. And it, the Lord, it says in this, in him, all fullness belongs. The earth is his. The earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to him. And why? Because the verse says he created it. He put it all into motion. You see, we, we kind of have this affinity. When you make something, you automatically consider it to be yours. So when God, the creator, he, for God created the heavens and the earth, and what did he do with six th- on the sixth day of that creation? He created mankind in his own image. Are you following who this Lord is? He's Lord of you, and he's Lord of me. He's Lord of everything. What we're talking is he owns it all. It's all his and all the fullness thereof. This is the Lord of hosts. He is the one who is ultimately the owner, the sustainer, the the creator of all things, which means that he is, catch this, please don't miss this, God then is the ultimate authority of all things. This is one of the great things when I think about this is God, if God is the ultimate authority, God is always in control. And if God is always in control, the mighty Lord of hosts, then that means nothing is ever out of control. Did you hear what I said? How messed up has your life been this week? As messed up as it is and out of control as it seems, the Lord of hosts, it means there's nothing truly ever out of his control. He is sovereign God, and I may not control it, and it may be out of my control, and I hate that some days. I don't know about you. I want to control it, but I can't. But there is one who is in control. Why? Because he's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord Almighty. But please, you got to get this too. If he's the Lord of hosts and he is in charge, that means that I'm not. If God is in charge, God is king, I am not in charge and I never will be in charge. And neither will you. You see, this is the part of this psalm that's going to drive us a little bit crazy. Because we as humans, we like our autonomy. We like to think that we are in control. And we even say things in our society that, that you know, what's most important is your happiness. What's most important is my, that I find my glory and I find my satisfaction. I find my fulfillment. And all of those things have their place and I get them. But do you understand according to this psalm that that's not the ultimate? 
The ultimate is there is a Lord of hosts. He owns everything. And, and I will never be the center of my life because God already is. I will, my will will never be in the most because God's will already is. That means that I don't have the right to say I want this and I want that because God is Lord of hosts. The King of glory is the Lord of all things and all things belong to him and in all things he is the fullness. It's all, he, it's all about God. He's the ultimate authority in our lives. This is his kingdom and I'm a subject in it. Your kingdom come, right? Your will be done. Do we mean that? Because the king of glory, that's who he is. He is the king who is ultimately in charge. Open the doors. Let the king in. But before you do that, you're going to have to recognize who that king is that you're letting in. Let me give you a phrase and maybe help you remember it. We must recognize that he is the king, and it's not me. The king of glory is the one that's in charge, not me. If I'm going to open the gates, I've got to recognize that it's God who is in charge of this life, and he is the one who has the right to make the decisions in this right. So we, we come through, we understand a little bit more of his presence. This is the king of glory. He's the one in charge. But there's a second question that David asks, very critical. Verse number three, who, look what he says. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? In other words, very simply, he says this. Who's allowed into the presence of this king of glory? I mean, the king of glory wants us there, and he's pleased that we come when he opened the gates, but who's allowed? If he is the king of hosts, if he is the Lord of glory, are there any criteria? Is there anything that makes a difference who can come into his presence? Let's go back to history a little bit. If this true, that this was written at the, at the celebration of the event when they brought the ark back into the to the tabernacle, and they're having this celebration. If any of you know the story, and you can go back and verify this in, in 2 Samuel 6, if you'll understand that that was a great day of celebration, but it wasn't a completely happy event. In fact, what we know of the ark coming back into the tabernacle actually happened in two very specific events. 2 Samuel chapter 6 says it started with this glorious day, the celebration, the, the city is having this parade, everything's going great, and then disaster happens. Because they didn't bring the ark in the way God had designed for them to do, they put it on a cart. And as the oxen were pulling that cart, the cart came across a rock, or they stumbled, or, and, and the ark began to move, and it looked precarious like it was going to fall. And a man by the name of Uzzah, probably with the best of intentions, reached out to touch the ark, to steady it so it wouldn't fall. That's a great thing, right? And yet as he touched the ark, he died immediately. Because that defied the very command of God, that you're not to touch my ark. Well, that kind of changed the parade mood, don't you think? In fact, David, the Bible says, was afraid and angry. Angry at the Lord for doing, why would you do that? I mean, what was so bad about what, and, and so for three months, they took this ark and they put it away at a house, and David said, it's never gonna come into, it's just, we're gonna leave it here. It's too, too important, I can't do this. But God blessed the house that they put it in, and before long, David realized, hey, this was because of what, I, I can change some things. And so then, we have, now we have the second event, and they bring it, but this time they bring it the way God said to do it. They do it the right way. They have it carried the right way, and now there's a celebration, and there's dancing because they're coming in. Here's something that we have to listen. We come to the king, and he wants us to come to him, but we come on his terms, not ours. 
When you come into the kingdom, you come into his presence, we come the way he tells us to and not the way that we think. Who is allowed into the presence of the king? Well, look number four, he, he gives us the answer. He, those who come, they have clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Clean hands talks about our behavior, about our actions, about our, our lifestyle, clean hands. But he goes deeper than that, doesn't he? He says clean hands and a pure what? Tell me, heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. Only those with clean hands and pure heart can, can come into the presence of the king. In fact, Jesus said it this way, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will, somebody tell me, see God, right? It's the pure in heart that makes a difference. Now, my first response to this is, well, that leaves me out. Anybody agree? Of, of course we do. And if we're honest, we all have to agree. In fact, the Bible kind of said it for us, there is none of us righteous. There's none of us that in and of ourselves have a pure heart. So we might as well just close this chapter. That one doesn't work for us because none of us can come into the king's presence if it requires clean hands and a pure heart. But that's the beauty. David knew that God had provided a way for him to come into worship in his presence. And he followed what God had said and the sacrifice that God had made. And he knew that God, even though David knew he was not a perfect man, David had his mistakes over and over again, but he knew because of what God, the way that God covered his sin, that was phenomenal for David. But what about us? That's when we move into the New Testament and we find this, that positionally you can have a clean, uh, a pure heart with clean hands if you've come to the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, the book of 1 John says that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. In fact, Ephesians says that we can have access to the Father. We can come into the King's presence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you recognize, folks, that you are a sinner and you need a Savior? And you, because of your sin, you can't come into the presence of the King in and of yourself. But God sent his Son to die for you. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And whoever believes in him can have a pure heart. I know I paraphrase, but that's what it says. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have the opportunity to come into the presence of the King through the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you been there? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? But now, as a Christian, does that mean, well, then I can just, I, I have access to the King and nothing changes? That same verse in 1 John that says the blood of Christ cleanses us, verse 7, two verses later, speaking to Christians, says, Christians, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Folks, it hasn't changed. God wants you in his presence. You open the doors and the gates and he is, he is pleased that you're here. But folks, it comes with clean hands and pure heart. First, you must stand clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then Christians, we come each Sunday and we confess and we say, God, I've, I, I know that I've not lived a perfect life, but I believe because of Jesus, I am forgiven. Please cleanse my life today. Clean hands pure heart. But look at the next phrase, and he says, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. Some of the translations would say, does not worship idols. That's what the word false could mean, very simply. Does not worship idols. And we get that. We can't come and worship the king of glory if we're carrying an idol along with us. He doesn't share his glory. He doesn't share his honor. You're going to worship the king, you've got to get rid of those idols. We, we get that. The Ten Commandments are very clear, no graven images, but the first commandment is even more clear. You're to have no other gods before me. Idols can come in lots and shapes and sizes, can't they? 
A lot of us, we don't, we don't think about us bowing down to an animal that's been made or a, the figure of a man or something like this. But what about power and influence and money and recreation and relationships? You see, an idol is simply anything that takes the place that only God deserves in our life. Put away those things. You want to worship the true God, and you come with a heart that says, I re recognize who you are. But I love the phrase, the way this, this uh, translation puts it, and literally how the Bible reads, don't lift up your soul to what is false. The word literally is don't lift up your soul to vanity or to something that's empty. In other words, he's saying there's a lie out there, and this lie is simply says that you will be able to find satisfaction in something else besides God. Don't listen to it. Don't buy into the lie. Don't follow idols. Don't follow that which is false. Don't think I need this and I need, that's what Eve fell into that trap and I was missing something. God's leaving something out. Don't buy into the lie. Follow that which is false. And then he says, and does not swear deceitfully. You're honest, your integrity, you keep your vows. You do not swear by, the, the, all of those things he's saying, those are the way God says, you want, to, you want to come in the presence of the king? Yes, I want you here. But the idea is those with pure hand, clean hands, a pure heart, not following the lie and not dealing deceitfully with, with your mouth. But look what he says in verse five, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. God wants to bless your life and he will as you come into his presence with clean hands and a pure heart. And he wants you to experience his righteousness, not your own, his righteousness, all those who come. Here's the conclusion, if I could give it to you, holy people, are welcome in the holy place with the holy God, according to this passage. What a privilege that we have to be in God's presence. Who can come into his presence? Verse three, ask the question. Verse six summarizes it. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, the generation, the group of people, the circle, the word means the assembly, as those who are assembled together, as those who are individually following him, as your desire is to seek him, and you open those gates, God says, I want to come and be a part of your life. So the question for the day is, will you be part of that circle? Will you be a part of those who experience the worship of the king, the king of glory, the Lord of hosts, the Lord almighty, will that be a part of your life today? If so, and let's go back to where we started. The verse seven is for you. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors. Look at this, that the king of glory may come in. He wants to come, he wants you to experience that presence. Open up the gates, open up the doors. Here's what we know, it's kind of interesting. If this truly was, as, as many say, that David escorting the art in Jerusalem what he literally was saying is they're bringing that parade to the gates. Open up the doors. Open up the gates. The king is here. And David wasn't talking about him, King David. He was talking about David's king, the king of glory. The ark is, represents the fact that the king of glory is here. So let's open the gates. Let's open the doors. That's what it was made for. Let's follow him. But, but I want to share, I think this even goes deeper than that. As you, as you move on in history from this point when David wrote this and celebrating this day, we have rabbis that begin to, to put together a liturgy for the Jewish worship service. And one of the main facets of their liturgy, as you read through it, was they would read this Psalm 24 as a part of their worship, and they specifically would do it on the first day of the week. 
So the first day of the week, the priests and the people would follow along and they would read this Psalm 24 that we've just read as a part of their worship service. So, so let's think about that a minute. In the New Testament, we're told that Jesus, on the first day of the week, on the Sunday before he was crucified, he entered into the gates of Jerusalem on a donkey. And there was a parade and there was singing, and there was rejoicing. Now think about that. If the, the rabbis were correct, it's possible, it's feasible that the very moment that Jesus is coming through the gates of Jerusalem, that the priests, without any clue of what they were saying, were reading, open the gates, open the doors, because the king of glory will come in. Is that not exciting to know that Jesus is this king of glory? He is the one that they've been waiting for. In fact, just to show you what I mean, in Luke's gospel, when he talks about that triumphal entry, he talks about how the multitudes of disciples were praising and singing. And then look what they say in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The king of glory has come in. And they didn't even realize it, but he's there. Now, now take that one week ahead. And it's very possible that those priests were saying those words again as the king of glory showed himself for the first time after his resurrection. The king of glory who died for their sins is now alive. And they're singing, open the doors, open the gates, because the king of glory has come in. The very thing that Jesus did that week when he died and then rose again is the very reason we can sit here today and say the king wants us to come because he died and rose for our sins. Now we know that 40 days later, he ascended, ascends to heaven. Hebrews chapter 10 says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look how Peter describes that. First Peter three, Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and all powers have been subjected to him. Who is the king of glory? Well, you tell me, it's Jesus. The, the crucified, resurrected Son of God. He is the King of glory who sits at the right hand of God. But let's not stop there. Prophetically, this continues to go because Revelation 19 and verse 16 says, Jesus isn't done. He's coming back. Amen? Jesus is coming back, and when he comes, according to Revelation 19, there's going to be a name that's strapped across his chest that said he is the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And Philippians chapter 2 says that there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Open up your gates. Open up your doors. Who's this King of glory? Jesus Christ, who one day we will see as the King of glory once and for all. But what about now? That's going to be a great day. Can't wait to see the King of kings and all the earth, but what about now? Can we, in 2022, Hallmark Baptist Church, can we experience this presence in the King of glory? Can we know who he has? Well, when we recognize him as the king that he is, we humble ourselves and we bow before him and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin and we stand clean before a holy God, we too can open up the doors of our life, open up the gates of our congregation and let the king of glory come in. James 4.8 says it this way, draw close to God and he will draw near or close to you. But then what does he say? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Christians. 
The same God who David talked about opening the gates for is available for us for to, as we worship. How often do we miss the fact that the king wants us in his presence? And if we clean our hands and have come with our pure hearts, he will allow us in. He will be pleased that we're there. But there's one other verse that as I look at it in context of what we just read, just jumps off the page to me now. You'll recognize it. Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20. Remember what Jesus said to the church? He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What does he say? If anyone hears my voice and, tell me, opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, that verse is for anyone today who realizes their need of a savior. And they hear that knock on their heart's door that says, I died for you, will you let me in? And you open the door and the king of glory comes into your life. But that verse is for every Christian. In fact, it was written to a church. It's for every Christian who we are going about the busyness of life and we've been muddled, muddled in the dirt and the sin of life and we realize I miss the presence of God. He says, hey, I'm right here. Behold, I stand at the door. If you'll just listen, hear my voice and open that door, I, the king of glory, will come When God is welcomed with open gates and open doors, he is pleased to come in and we can experience his presence. With that thought in mind, let me read these verses again and let me encourage you individually and as a church, may this be our prayer today. Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? He's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Will you open your heart to the king today? Will you open your life to the king today? And if you've not yet received him as savior, would you come today and recognize the king of glory desires to know you personally? And if you're a follower of his, will you open up the gates? Will you allow your life to be purified again so that God, you can open your gates and say, come in. You will never be satisfied with anything less than the presence of your king. As we conclude today, there was a song I heard recently that I want to share with you and I hope that maybe those words will reverberate in your mind about this King of Glory because we know one day, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, that's coming and we'll all experience it one way or the other. But why should we wait? Why don't we start right now in this place, in your place of life to let the King of Glory come in and worship 